0: What image comes to your mind when you uh, hear the phrase, praise the Lord? Um, what, what actions, maybe we should say, what uh, um, response do you give if you are encouraged to praise the Lord? Do you believe that that involves an action? Do you believe that involves something physical uh, as such? Not saying it doesn't, but uh, this morning I hope we can... See in the scripture what's at the core or the center of God's eternal plan as we that are His praise Him. We that are His learn what it is that moves us, motivates us to give praise unto the Lord. In Isaiah chapter 25, Isaiah chapter 25 this morning we are looking at a text a passage where Isaiah is giving uh, prophecy much of Isaiah's prophecy can be taken uh, looking at it from a microscope and a telescope uh, from a microscope we see there is an, an immediate or a near uh, let's call it a near fulfillment uh, when he spoke of in Isaiah 7 and Isaiah 9 the birth We think of the birth of Christ in those prophetic messianic passages. But we know that there was an immediate or a near fulfillment as well. As he spoke of someone, the Isaiah 7 passage in particular. Well, in Isaiah 24 and 25, what Isaiah is speaking about in the near fulfillment is dealing with the remnant... Uh, the destruction of babylon first the captivity of god's people or coming out of that captivity at the hands of babylon then the judgment upon babylon and then in particular chapter 25 he's describing in the near fulfillment he's describing what's going to happen uh, as the remnant returns and as they give praise Unto the Lord. But then we think of the telescope, we think of the far fulfillment. Most will tell you that Isaiah 25 has to do with the millennial reign, with when Christ establishes his kingdom upon the earth. So, that being understood, that being stated, I, I want us to see some principles out of this that are relevant for today, okay? Part of this was dealing with what happened when the remnant returned to Jerusalem, uh, when the, the Babylonian captivity ended and they offered praise unto the Lord, but then the greater fulfillment one day when Christ's kingdom is established upon this earth and uh, the saints have been raptured out and returned with the Lord Jesus Christ, to reign upon this earth. And so there's a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment, immediate and then a prophetic, we might say. But what does it say to us in 2021? A lot of people were heartbroken this past week. We saw something in our country that's rarely been seen in our lifetime. Now we can go back to the uh, war between the states, and we can we can find dissension in this country. But to see an attack by our own citizens upon uh, our institutions of government, and there may be debate among people of, well, it was deserved and so forth. But a lot of hand wringing has been taking place. Well, I don't I don't preach from the newspaper, and so I, uh, But I think there are some things that are be said this morning that'll give us the right. Focus. That'll help me. I don't know about you. Thank you for joining in while I preach to myself or watching or standing by. But there are some things that we need to know about. Isaiah 25, verses 1 through 5. O oh Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name. For you have done wonderful things. Your counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. For you have made a city a ruin, a fortified city a ruin, a place of foreigners to be a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore the strong people will glorify you. The city of the terrible nations will fear you. For you have been a strength to the poor, a strength to to the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat. For the blast of the terrible ones is as a storm against the wall. You will reduce the noise of aliens as heat in a dry place, as heat in the shadow of a cloud. The song of the terrible ones will be diminished. A powerful passage All of Isaiah 25, I sat out to do the entire 25th chapter, but I realized as I studied this week that there's so much here, and so I'm just going to focus on really verse 1 and uh, highlight a few things in the next four verses. But what is God's eternal plan for us? John Piper says of this passage that it is a picture of hope. Don't worry that you can't answer all the questions about the triumph that will come. Press on with hope-filled allegiance and praise God. That's what Isaiah 25 is telling us to do. That's what's going to take place during the millennium. God wills it. It will take place. Today, in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of uncertainty, what do we need to do? We rest in the hope that is ours from the Lord Jesus Christ. And we find our assurance in Him. Not in a country. Not in a well-planned, well-organized government. that may have had divine and providential, we certainly believe that, origins. But that seems to be more and more so today, turning away from the Lord. What do we do? Maybe this, this passage has been called to my attention over the last few days, and I uh, think you need to be aware of it as well. You are, probably have seen it yourself. But Job chapter 12, Job chapter 12, verses 23, 24, and 25. Look what Job has to say to uh, his, his critics Uh, that have have Zophar and uh, Elihu and, and all of them, they didn't have much to offer Job and told him that he was at fault. But look what Job said. The wisdom of Job. Chapter 12, verse 23. Speaking of God, he says, He makes nations great and destroys them. He enlarges nations and guides them And he takes away the understanding of the chiefs of the people of the earth. He makes them wander in a pathless wilderness. They grope in the dark without light. And he makes them stagger like a drunken man. He makes nations great. And he destroys them. Folks, our hope is not in a nation. We are not citizens of this country. If you've been born again, your citizenship is in heaven. And we're not citizens of earth trying to get to heaven. We are citizens of heaven awaiting our master's call to come home. What do we do until then? We just give up and say, well, let it all go to hell in a handbasket. No. What do we do? We praise the Lord. God has an eternal plan. Isaiah 25 reveals some of that. and The whole of Scripture reveals much of that. But it involves our giving praise unto the Lord. Isaiah the prophet said, O Lord, you are my God. Folks, I want no instructions from anyone about life in America if at the core of their focus is not the Lord Himself, I have nothing I need to learn from them, the most conservative nor the most liberal. I want no instructions from one who does not, who cannot say, Oh Lord, you are my God. You know where the church has erred? We've listened to those who cannot say, O oh Lord, You are my God. We've listened too much. And so Isaiah begins in his words here with a declaration of faith. This is a song of thanksgiving, a song of praise to God. We learn from Isaiah. Yes, this is prophetic. It will take place in the millennium, uh, millennial reign. But let's see what we can learn today. Believers living this. There's a declaration of faith. Oh Lord, You are my God. The word Lord is Jehovah or Yahweh. Lord in this text though, I'm convinced Jehovah is God incarnate. Look at verses 8 and 9 of Isaiah 25. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of His people He will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. And it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God. Why are we in the mess we are in, America? Because we cannot say, the majority do not say, Behold, this is our God. They'll say we have waited for Him and He will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. We will be glad and rejoice in His salvation. Jehovah in the Old Testament is Jesus in the New. I hope you embrace that and understand that. And so when the prophet Isaiah is saying, O Lord, You are my God, he's speaking of faith in the Christ. He's speaking of faith in Jehovah that we would equate from a New Testament perspective as faith in the Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. And faith in Christ is the beginning, the middle, and the end of divine worship. It's what we ought to be involved in. Listen, no man... Praises God who does not believe Christ. No man praises God who does not believe Christ. He doesn't trust in Him, he doesn't rely upon Him. And so, Notice the declaration here. He says, O oh Lord, you are my God. What is he, what is he declaring? What is, what is Isaiah confessing? Well, he's confessing that Christ is God. From a New Testament perspective, we understand Christ is the revelation of God. He is the Word of God, the logo of God. The logos in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's more than that. He's the image of the invisible God. But He's more than that. The man, Jesus of Nazareth, is Himself Almighty God. So, faith confesses that Jesus Christ is God. It confesses that Jesus is Christ, God our Savior. Christ is God's salvation. The matter of the whole heart Hear, hear what I'm saying. Salvation is not a doctrine. Salvation is not a religion. Salvation is not a theory. Folks, salvation is a person. The Lord Jesus Christ, that person, Jesus Christ is Savior. And salvation is in Him. What do you do with Jesus? Not what do you do with rituals. Not what do you do with a church building or a church gathering. Salvation is in Christ. So, faith here that says, "Oh Lord, You are my God. What is Isaiah saying? He's confessing that, that God is Savior. This God he's speaking of. I believe it's God incarnate in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's saying that Christ is my Lord and my God. Jesus Christ is my God because He's my Creator. Jesus Christ is my God because He's made Himself my God in the covenant of grace. He's my God because I bow to Him and receive Him as my Lord and my Savior, the God of my faith. I take His yoke upon me gladly and I serve Him. There is a declaration of faith here. And as we learn how to praise God, it begins with that declaration Oh Lord, you are my God. I ask you this morning, can you say that? Lord, not just some higher power. So sick of these football players that talk about the man upstairs, they know nothing of Jesus. These politicians that want to give a little bit of a a glance toward the, the heavenly heavens as though they have some key and yet they know nothing of Christ. Oh Lord, you are my God. Can you say that? Not some religious cute phrase, but can you say the God of the Bible who redeemed me by the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ. You are my God. Can you say that? But his next statement, the, well, statements, two of them, are a, uh, let's call them the determination of faith. He says, oh Lord, you are my God. What do you do? What's, if He's your God, what are you doing? I, I ask the church that. If we can say He's our God, what are we doing? We're wringing our hands and saying, all the Republicans have lost it all. We should have never put our trust in them, nor the Democrats, nor the Whig Party, nor the others. And there won't be a third party that we can trust in either for our help. It's in the Lord God alone. What are we to do? Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. Here is the determination of faith. It's the determination of every believing heart. You are my God, therefore I will exalt you. What does it mean to exalt God? Now look, we cannot add anything to God. When we're told in the New Testament to magnify Him, we're not making Him bigger than He is. What does it mean then to exalt the Lord? Well, one... It means that we ascribe to Him the whole of salvation. Salvation is of the Lord. Ephesians 1. Brother Steve dealt with Ephesians and the prayers of Paul there. But in that those first few verses there, salvation, my friend, is of the Lord. Not of the church. We have the gospel message. I hope we're giving it. But it's of the Lord in its purchase, in its performance, in its preservation, in its perfection. It's all of the Lord. Trusting Him. What does it mean to exalt Him? It means to ascribe salvation to Him alone. The whole of salvation is in Him. Anybody that says salvation is of the Lord partly, and of, them, of the people partly, and of, uh, of ritual sacramentally uh, partly, and such... They're not exalting the Lord. They're taking away from the Lord. You hear me? They're taking away from. What does it mean to exalt? It means we trust Him with all of our cares, all of our affairs, casting all of our cares upon Him, for He cares for us. It means that we submit to Him and, and we give ourselves over to His will and we follow Him wherever that may be. He says, I will exalt you, you're my, you're, oh Lord, you are my God. What do I do to that? What? I, how do I respond? I will exalt you, and I will praise your name. To praise the name of God is to celebrate the perfections of His being. It is to rejoice in His works. It is to trust His goodness. It is to declare His greatness. It is to give thanks to Him always and for all things. Do you praise His name? When Isaiah says, I'll praise Your name, he's saying, that's what I ought to do. That's what I want to do. That's what I'm determined to do. Are we? Inwardly, publicly, practically, continually, praise Him? That's the determination of faith. We see the declaration of it. Oh Lord, You are my God. I'll exalt you. I'll praise your name. That is our uh, determination. Then look lastly at the desire. The desire to praise the Lord. Here's the desire of those who can say, "Oh Lord, you're my God. I'll exalt you. I'll praise you. Why? For you have done wonderful things. Isn't that great? He's done wonderful things. And Isaiah goes on to list, I think there are at least four here in verses 1 through 5. That's why we have to to stop. But four wonderful things. Number one, what's he he saying? What's What's his desire to praise the Lord about? Well, first he says, your counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. We praise the Lord. Our desire is to praise the Lord for the wonderful thing of His everlasting counsel of grace. Your counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. I don't know much about the everlasting counsels of God, but I know this. Here's what little I do know or some of what little I do know. I do know that from eternity past, God chose to save an innumerable body of people by His grace, by the work, not of man, but by the work of His Son. That's why it's a council of grace. Your counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. We don't know all that went on in that council of old. But we know this of what's been revealed to us through the Scripture, that in eternity past, God chose to save a certain people who believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, who trust in Him. And Jesus Christ is the surety, the certainty of that work, of those that believe. And He redeemed them how? With His own precious blood. The cross of Calvary was not the works of evil man. It was the the work of an eternal God that had planned it in eternity past before He ever created the world. Before the foundation of the world. God the Father chose to give His Son to pay the price And the Holy Spirit of God applies that. As the Word of God is preached, the Spirit of God convicts and draws you to salvation. Have you responded? The work of the triune Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Father planned it. God the Son procured it. God the Spirit applies it. Are you responding? Whosoever will may come. These things were fixed in the eternal purpose of God. We praise Him because of the counsels of old that are faithful and true. That's God's eternal plan. God's truth is our assurance that He will do all that He's planned, all that He's promised, all that He's purposed in His covenant of grace to us. And there's no political party. There's no government. It doesn't matter who's in the White House or number 10 Downing Street or the Kremlin or Beijing's Imperial Palace. It doesn't matter. Because God will accomplish it. If He's able, He'll do it. He'll accomplish it. And He is able. Not only... His desire is in relation or that, that we praise Him for wonderful things, that He's done what's He done, that everlasting counsel of grace. But look at verses 2 and 3. His, his wise and unerring providence is described in these two verses. For you've made a city a ruin, probably in reference to Babylon, but more so any city. The Job passage, He can raise up a nation, a city, a nation, He can destroy it. You have made a city a ruin, a fortified city a ruin, a palace of foreigners to be a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. This is the prophetic declaration against Babylon and what's going to happen to Babylon and their their little g-gods. A city of ruins. But it speaks of all of His providential judgment. God's providential purpose. Verse 3, when God destroys the nations of the world in His wrath, He'll save, He is saving a remnant. Therefore, the strong people will glorify you. I wonder if that describes the remnant of believers in America. The strong people will glorify you. The city of the terrible nations will fear you. Strong people are those who are made strong by His grace, not in our own efforts nor strength. A city of terrible nations will be made to fear Him. Wonderful things that He's done. Everlasting counsels of grace. His providence, verses 2 and 3. Verse 4, His provision. For you have been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat, and a blast of the terrible ones. For the blast of the terrible ones is as a storm against the wall. There are five mighty provisions right here in verse 4 that he has provided for his people. He's strength for the poor. He's strength for the needy in their distress. He's a refuge for the storm. Where's the storm coming from? Well, I think there's the storm of God's wrath against sin. I'm going to stand where the fire of that wrath has already burned. Where is that? At the cross of Calvary. Jesus died taking upon God's wrath for all of our sin. The Father poured out the punishment we deserve upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a safety. He is a shelter, a refuge from the storm. Are you in Christ? Are you trying to do it yourself? He is a shade from the heat, verse 4 says, or a shadow from the heat, the heat of the fiery law of God, the flaming sword of justice. He is a Shade from the fiery darts of Satan, from the fires of persecution. Folks, the day may be coming in America, a good old land of the free, where believers are persecuted. Christians have been living that for years in other countries. Have we at all been praying for them and been concerned? Now it may be us. I don't want to sensationalize, but who knows? In the life of our children, and grandchildren, maybe even today, Then he talks about a wall to protect us at the end of verse 4. For the blast of the terrible ones is as a storm against the wall. A wall to protect us from the blustering winds of all who violently oppose Christ. All the persecutions of godless men against the saints of God will be no more harmful than winds blowing against a wall. Why? Because He's able. Because Christ, are you trusting in Him? Is He your God? Do you exalt and praise Him? Do you know the wonderful things that He's done? What are those wonderful things? Well, verse 1, His everlasting counsels of grace. Verses 2 and 3, His his providence. Verse 4, His provision. Then verse 5, the assurance of His total deliverance for us from all enemies, you will reduce the noise of aliens as heat in a dry place, as heat in the shadow of a cloud. The strong or the song of the terrible ones will be diminished. God will shelter His own from their enemies. That was true. For the remnant of Israel that returned after the Babylonian captivity, that will be true in the millennial age. And folks, it's true today. It's true today. If you can say, "Oh Lord, You are my God. If you're trusting in Him, He'll protect you. New Testament passage. Romans 16 and verse 20. What a beautiful verse. It says, And the Lord who is the God of peace... Will crush Satan under your feet. I cast my lot with him. Almost seems like an oxymoron in that passage to say he's the God of peace, but he'll crush Satan's head. Under the feet of who? Paul's talking to the Roman Christians, he's talking to believers. That's the victory that is ours. We don't have to fear the conflict of this age. We put our hope in the one that Isaiah says, O Lord, that's Jehovah, that's Yahweh. You are my God. Can you say that? Do you praise Him? Do you exalt Him? Do you know that He's done wonderful things and can you say of those wonderful things that He's done in your life? He's worthy to be praised. In faith, we praise Him because He saved us and He has secured us. We are safe in the arms of Jesus. Are you? you trusting in Him? Maybe this morning He's revealed in your heart that your faith has been in things or in yourself or or maybe in some religious ritual or maybe in some religious deed. Maybe in a church membership or a a baptism or a a partaking of the Lord's Supper or something along the You think those things make you right with God. Are you trusting in Him and Him alone? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for these assuring words of hope. For what you're going to do one day for the believing remnant. For what you did in times past for Israel. What you'll do right now today for us. Death is not our enemy. Death has been defeated by the Lord Jesus Christ. As this Isaiah passage says. Father you'll wipe away tears from all faces. Doesn't mean we won't cry. It just means you'll wipe them away. And so in these days of uncertainty, when many are panicking because of what's happening in this country, and many are are afraid of what tomorrow may bring, may we be able to say with Isaiah, O Lord, You are my God. And Your eternal plan is that for those that can say that, to exalt You and to praise Your name, enable us, strengthen us to do that is our prayer. I pray for that person who's listening or watching this morning and has not trusted Christ. I pray that Your Holy Spirit would convince them of sin, their sin, and righteousness, that they are unrighteous and that You are a righteous God and require righteousness. And only through the righteousness of Christ can they be reconciled to You. And judgment, judgment to come but the judgment that was executed in Christ when You poured out Your wrath for all of our sin. I pray today that the Holy Spirit would work in that heart, that listening ear and that believing heart for them to be saved. I pray that they'd make it known that You might be exalted and glorified, magnified in this place and other places to Your honor and Your glory. I pray that believers would make it our practice not to be involved in some emotional external display of praise so much as to have a heart that says and sings, O Lord, You are my God. I thank You, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen.